This is Authors in Focus. James Reed, a fantasy author publishing under JMD Reed. The first volume of my epic 12-book fantasy series, Shadow of the Dragon, is available for purchase. Check out Foundation of Courage. Today, I'm joined by Deborah Jarvis. She's the author of The Crystal Pawn, book one of the Carolithian Chronicles. How are you doing today, Deborah? Oh, really good. Thank you. Awesome. It's a nice day where you're at. No, it's actually been pouring for most of the day. Oh. It's better than 90 degrees, though. So. That does sound nice, yeah, because it's like, um, it was very cool here. Then June 21st came, and it was like, well, it's going to be summer now, and it's been hot ever since. That, that's kind of what it decided to do here, because I was teaching up until the 20th, and it was like, oh, it's been pretty nice out. Maybe it'll stay that way. And then it's like, nope, going to be 90 now. And it's like, okay, thanks. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, so where are you? I'm in New Hampshire, the southern part of New Hampshire on the mass border. Gotcha. I think we're at about the same latitude, just on the opposite coast. Oh, well, there you go. So I like to start these things out with a, a fun question or two. So, um, Deborah, are you a cat person or a dog person? Uh, both, actually. We have four cats and three dogs in the house, so we're both uh, for those. And kind of partial to greyhounds, though, because they're kind of cat-like horse dogs, so that seems to be where we lean. Didn't know that about greyhounds, that they were cat-like horse dogs. They're long-legged like horses, uh, but they act more like cats than they do dogs. I'm really only familiar with labs, I guess. That's what I had growing up. So, yeah, labs. So. <laughs> yeah, my son has one. He lives with us, so uh, his dog, Bunny, lives here as well. Yeah, we had, a, I don't know, we had two labs when I was growing up. Well, one was like half a Weimaraimer, but that just made her like yeah. a cinnamon-colored lab. So you, you combine a black dog and a gray dog, and you get cinnamon, apparently? <laughs> yeah, Don't ask me. Yeah, hair color is funny. Hair color is funny <laughs> in dogs. Yeah, but, yeah, she looked just like a like a black lab, but she was cinnamon. She didn't like water, though, so I guess that was – she didn't get that from the lab side, but. Yeah, Bunny doesn't like water either, so whatever <laughs> else she's mixed with, it's not a water dog. Yeah, we had a pure black lab, and he would it would be winter, and there, he would be, like, sitting in an icy puddle, just happy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like, you know, it's like 28 degrees out because it doesn't get really cold here, but you're still just looking up going like, there's like ice around the rim of that puddle and you're just sitting in that muddy water, just all happy. All right. No, and it's funny because you would think greyhounds, most of which came up from Florida in the last number, they, you would think they would hate the snow. They love the snow. Oh yeah. Cause they're short hair, aren't they? Yeah. But they get out in the snow and they just think it's the most fun they've had. Yeah. He liked the snow, but we never get much of it. But. <laughs> Well, uh, so let's, uh, let's talk about you and your writing. So how long have you wanted to be an author, Deborah? Probably a long time in my life. I mean, I, I kind of started doing a lot of little bits of writing when I was a teenager, and I've always loved to read fantasy. I've always loved writing. I teach writing uh, as well. So, I mean, it's something that's a huge part of my life. But I've always wanted to get into writing. Just It was hard finding the time uh, to get everything done. Okay. You teach writing um, at what level? Uh, I teach high school English, and I teach college courses as well. Oh, cool. I never cared for my English classes. That's okay. <laughs> Even when I wanted, like I want, I always was writing back in like high school. I never cared for English. 
I guess, I don't know. They didn't teach writing, though, in my English classes. They taught, like, grammar, which is not really the same thing. It's something you want to be able to teach, but... um, Yeah, you like to teach it. I got that, but it's like, I don't know. It wasn't like a creative writing class where they were teaching you, like, more of the crap. You know, just more like, get your English right, and can you write an essay about, you know, whatever Shakespeare play they made us read. Yeah, Um, no, I I teach college composition as well, but right now, this summer, I'm teaching a creative writing class through the college. That's fun. You have to speak at a creative writing class with a couple indie authors a couple years ago. I know that was fun. That is cool. Well, it was fun at the advanced level. We went to the, so like, we went to the basic level. It turned out like, uh, my, my author friend, she's like, she went to the, this local college or university, right? And so she knows like her English professor. And so apparently he just wanted a day off. So he just brought us into like l- lecture to his classes. It turned out this is so how we got the speaking gig. <laughs> That's actually really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, so, like, he got a day off, and we got to talk to him. But, like, the, the beginner classes, they weren't all that interested. They were just, you know. But, like, when we got to, like, the advanced class, like, people who are, like, really wanted to writing, they really were engaged mm-hmm. and asked questions and learned. And because we were telling about the actual publishing stuff, yep. which they were learning, and they were they were very shocked to learn <laughs> it's the sort of difficulties in getting published, you know, and uh, or the pitfalls of, like, the indie world if you go that route. So it was... Yeah, that's been a, that's been an interesting learning curve on my end too. Um, getting into indie publishing, it's a lot harder to publish and you know format and get it out there than it is to write it, uh, which I just think is you know not something I expected. I was like, oh no, we just put it in the right format. No, no, there's a lot more to it than that, um, and making sure the cover design fits and everything. So it's it is a bit more challenging than I expected. And there's a whole like um, business side that. You know, that's then marketing and yeah, there's a there's a lot more to it. Like if you get trad published, they just do all that for you. Right. Which, you know, that would be nice. <laughs> yeah. This is not what I went to school for. I went to school for English and writing and it, it's not uh, the marketing is not my thing, but I'm working on it. Yeah. It's like who knew I should have went and got an MBA instead of a creative writing degree. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm fortunate I have some former students that have graduated from college now, and I, I go to them and I say, so what do I need to do? And they're like, okay, so let's try this. Like, okay, okay, we'll do this. That's good. So uh, let's talk about your novel, The uh, Crystal Pawn, mm-hmm. which is about uh, Deidre Hawes, who uh, never thought she'd have an extraordinary life, but uh, she's soon thrust into adventure with a few loyal friends. So let's talk about Deidre, her adventures, her loyal friends, and all that fun stuff. Okay. Um, hold on one second. Sure. All right. Um, so the book has been around a while. It's one of the ones that I started writing when I was a teenager and have been kind of evolving the plot for a while. And when we finally settled down around the time of the pandemic, you know, this was when we, we were able to say we, it's myself and a friend of mine that we edit together on each other's novels. Um, so we finally managed to sit down and she's been helping me go through hers and I've been going, you know, going through, going through mine as well. But the book itself has taken shape over, uh, the last, you know, the last couple of years and finally came out. So it is a isekai or portal fantasy novel. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's the idea of, okay, so her father, had come through the the gate that's on the property to her grandfather's house and had met her mother when her mother was much younger and they had an affair that, uh, that you know, his father didn't know about and her grandfather didn't know about. 
And when his father found out that he had snuck through the gate into another world, he locked it magically, and he never knew that he had a child on this world uh, until he ended up getting uh, a message from a kind of mysterious figure who showed up on basically on his doorstep one day and said, well, your legitimate daughter has died, um, but you need somebody of your bloodline. There is somebody else that you can find. We'll get that portal back open for you so you can bring her in. Um, and it kind of goes from there where he goes to talk to her, the, her father, Nerfal, Count Nerfal, goes to talk to her and says, um, I really need your help. Would you be willing to come in? Would you be willing to uh, possibly take up this mantle uh, to be able to help us, you know, convince the dragons to come back and actually help get the invading army out of uh, out of the country. And she agrees more out of curiosity, I think, than anything else, um, and ends up coming, you know, going to his world, to Kirillismus, to the country of Kirillismus. So it moves from there, um, where she starts to discover some of the intrigues that's happening in the country and starts to make connections. And one of the connections that she makes is with the court magician by the name of Tomil. And he says, you know, I don't think they're going to actually um, send anybody. I don't think anybody's been actually sent to find the dragons. I think if you're going to have any hope of succeeding in this quest that you've been thrust into, you're going to have to get up and you're going to have to go on your own and you're going to have to have your own journey. So that's kind of where it starts, where she leaves what has been sort of comfortable and heads off into the unknown. Okay. okay. Yeah, so uh, tell us a little bit about Deidre. What's her personality like? So she's an artist, so she has she definitely has a lot of creativity. Um, you know, she, she shares her mother's talent in drawing. Um, has spent a lot of time growing up reading fantasy, kind of, you know, very similar to myself, although she and I are not the same person. She has spent some time doing sword fighting in college, and, and you know, the one thing that she never learned to do really was horseback ride, because, you know, as she said, it was a choice between art lessons and horseback riding, and she went with, she went with art lessons. Um, and I'm horribly allergic to horses, so, you know, that was something that I couldn't do either, but I definitely didn't take art lessons. So she's, um, you know, she's in her mid-20s, um, pretty open-minded to just about anything, which she has to be going into this country, and, you know, seems to try and take things at face value. Okay, okay. So what type of sword fighting did she take in college? She did fencing. She did fencing in college. So, like, the, the epe fencing? Yes. Yep. Okay. Yeah, because I, uh, I, I, for, in high school, I did, um, like, rapier fencing. Mm-hmm. With, uh, it was associated with the SCA, but, um. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we've done stuff with Realms, um, which is, I don't know if you know, are familiar with Realms. It's another LARPing uh, group. Okay. I'm terrible with any kind of sword. Um, you know, tend to die quickly, but. <laughs> Yeah, that's well. That's just, I at least appreciate the nuance of it. That was that was fencing in general. It, they don't they don't fights don't last long. <laughs> <laughs> they, they get they get over pretty fast because uh, you know we we didn't play with points is when we played like oh you took a mortal wound you're dead so yeah yeah so you like strike to head or torso you're dead and strike to limbs were disabled and uh, yeah but that was fun. Um, I got to use this part of it. I got to use it as a school project. So that was the other good part. It's like 
like a senior year at my high school, they had like what's called senior project and we work on it all year and you have to do like part of it's like you have to do some activity and the other part is you have to give a presentation on something related to it. So um, I used I used, you know, do rapier fencing for my activity and then I did a report on medieval weaponry uh, that I had to, you know, deliver before it. I had to, you had to write a paper and then you had to deliver a report on the paper. It was oh, a pretty cool. Yeah. And so and it was great. I brought weapons into school. This was ninety. This was this is right. Um, this is right after Columbine. So okay. this is ninety nine. This is like oh, this is like I mean, this would have been a week or two after Columbine. So, but no one cared. <laughs> but I'm walking around with like swords. I didn't even think to ask. I just brought them in. Yeah, my husband. Uh, my husband was in high school around the time with Columbine, and he was wearing a trench coat a lot of the time. And apparently, they followed him. Because, you know, suspicious trench coat person, we have to, he's like, that was the most ridiculous thing, because he was not that kind of person. Yeah, but, no, yeah. I just, yeah, no, I just showed up with a couple, swords, and they weren't, they weren't real swords, they were, they yeah. were fencing swords, so they yeah. were, they, you couldn't, you could hurt, they were like a blunt object, but like, you know, you weren't, you weren't going to cut people, but yeah, but I had like two of them, I had like a, two different types of them that we used in the, uh, in the fencing class, because uh, there's like the expensive metal ones, and then they figured out a way to make them out of fiberglass poles that were used in bicycles oh, yeah. and uh so they're lighter they're cheaper and they hurt more because they don't bend as much as the metal swords <laughs> do so you really feel them when you get hit Yeah, the, the flexibility of that is not quite the same yeah so it's uh it definitely had its drawbacks like you felt it through the padding and uh yeah you had to, you had to wear that padding oh and yeah women had to wear a uh, chest armor because yeah. I, I have friends that do SCA and they do Renaissance fairs and they do like fighting in plate mail. Yeah. And you know, I, I'm like, you got how heavy is that? They're like, yeah, about that. I'm like, okay. It's it's heavy, but you also wear it across your entire body. Right. And, um, so you don't feel it all the way. It's it's actually why they like um, I don't know if you ever seen chainmail and you see them like belt chainmail around yep. the waist. That's to transfer the load from the shoulders to the hips. Some of it. That makes sense. Yeah, so that's why they, they belt, the belt goes like over it, so you're cinching it around the waist and transferring load. Um, but yeah, that's, it's, cause yes, yeah, so you distribute it, it's a, it's not like wearing a backpack where it's all like concentrated. <laughs> but you still, you know, you're still restricting your movement, and uh, until there's a, there's like a YouTube channel where there's a guy who does jousting in full armor. Yeah. Like I, over in England, I and I'm like. just watch that, yeah. <laughs> And it's like, yeah. oh yeah, it's it's very informative about you know how you can't see anything and you're just hugging a like charging blindly ahead and like as a tank as a knight. That's a that's an interesting way to fight. <laughs> yeah, not my speed, but you know, I definitely can appreciate the artistry. Yeah. So um, you're you're running a portal fantasy. Where did the sort of the idea for that come from? Oh, uh, honestly, it was so long ago, I'm not really sure. Fair enough. To be honest with you, you know, this was something that had started just writing because I, I really loved reading when I was a kid and was very fond of the Chronicles of Narnia and Last Unicorn and a lot of that very traditional style fantasy. Um, you know, and I'm sure there's elements and echoes of all of that floating through the story somewhere, but it's it's its own unique story at this point, so I can't really point and go, oh, that's this. Um, but, you know, the talking folk are animals that, that do talk, so I'm sure there's there's some of that with Narnia that kind of may have come from there. Um, yeah. But it was, you know, was, I'm 50, 
two now. So we think I, you know, we were looking back and trying to figure out how long it was. And I think I probably started writing this when I was 15 or 16 and whatever iteration it was back then, which it's no longer anywhere like what it was. So we're looking at a we're looking at a good 30 some odd year span of time since I started writing it. So kind of looking back at the beginning, not really sure what happened. You know, I know when I was going through and, and putting it into the, the kind of beginning of what it <laughs> excuse me became in my mid late 20s. Um, you know, whatever influences were out there at the time, you know, certainly in the 80s and the 90s, there were plenty of fantasy stories and films. Um, you know, and it's just something I'd always loved. So I wanted to create my own. Yeah, fair enough. So, um, like what did you have in like, so you've been like revising this for a long time. Did you like ever kind of feel like, uh, get like sick of the story? You know, cause you've been. I don't think I got sick of the story. I think what ended up happening was after I got it written, I had uh, life change, you know, things with getting divorced to, you know, find a full time job going into teaching because um, I wasn't a teacher before, but uh, I went into teaching to find my avocation, um, you know, and then kind of going from there as to finding time to do it. And I mean, it was typed and all of the things got done with it, but it got put aside until 2020 and then all of a sudden it's like huh well i'm teaching from home now um and i've got a little extra time so this might be this might be the moment for actually looking at it and seeing what could be done with it fair enough i am i have like almost nothing that i wrote from high school that i kept yeah i don't think i kept any of the original files i have no idea where those are the original things written on paper or whatever they were but, you know, it just kind of evolved over time into what it is now. It's much better than what it was originally. Yeah. I mean, that's why I'm not sad that I don't really have any of those old <laughs> writings. Same yeah, no, I, any, any recollection I have of it was pretty cheesy. So it's it's come a long way from cheesy. Yeah, I have, like, one story I can remember from high school that's fairly cheesy, I think. But I don't remember the details too well. And I have another story from, like, my early 20s that I, I kind of did a lot of world building on. But, uh it, um, it would have been classified as urban fantasy these days, but, like, urban fantasy wasn't really a thing. Like, or at no. least if it was, I wasn't aware of it back, because this was, like, 2000. So, I mean, it was a thing, but I don't, I wasn't aware of it. I don't think I really discovered it until I started reading Jim Butcher. Yeah, Jim Butcher is wonderful. Um, I think urban fantasy, some of the earlier stuff with that would be something like by Charles DeLint. So if you're kind of going backwards, something like Moonheart or some of his some of his other early works um, set in in what is the name of the city? I can't remember that he created up in up in Canada. Um, you know, any of those stories would be considered to be urban fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think I was aware of like the Laura K. Hamilton stuff that was like in the yep. fantasy section for some reason. I'm just like, what? what is this? This is like, why is this? <laughs> Not in the romance section? I don't know. So I just Laura, skip Laura over King that. Hamilton is an interesting author, um, very much so. But I, I prefer Jim Butcher or um, Patricia Briggs much more. Yeah, I'm very glad I, I just, like, found Stormfront. I was like, oh, what's this? And I'm like, okay. And I remember sitting down in my, my roommate's car because on the way – because we went to the bookstore, and I was like, all right. I just opened it up, and I started reading it. And I was like, oh, gee, this is amazing. Uh-huh. Like, right yeah. from the beginning. We we ended up having to figure out a vacation spot one year, and my husband's like, let's go to Chicago and go see Sue the Dinosaur from, you know, 
deadbeat, I think it was. And I'm like, yeah. okay, yeah, you don't have to twist my arm. We'll go to Chicago. Um, so we did that. And we also took a side trip up to Wisconsin to go to the House on the Rock because we're big Neil Gaiman fans. Uh, so that was that was something, too. Nice. Well, um, do you are you working on the sequel to it or? So the second book is already out. The Ivory Queen okay. came out uh, this April. And that's out now. And I'm working on the third book, which is The Evan King. Um, and I'm not going to set a release date for that just yet because we barely scratched the surface of it. Um, the first two books were, were originally one book. And, you know, we realized how many pages it was. It was way more than, you know, the, the limit. You know, yeah. say, oh, you know, 90,000 words to 120,000 words. We're like, yeah, let's over that a little. Uh, so yeah. And a friend of mine and I were sitting around one day. I'm like, I think I have to split the book. You know, and I don't know quite what to do. He's like, well, what's the what's the title? I said, well, it's The Ivory Queen. He says, okay, so what's the first one? Tell me a little bit about the beginning of the book, where you're going to split. And I said, okay. So, you know, she's coming into this this place and, you know, this, this castle made out of translucent quartz, um, you know, that's the, the castle at Remembrance. And, you know, this kind of crystalline, crystalline fortress, which, you know, it's not uh, too cheesy, so we don't call it that. It's the Carathusan Palace. And he's like, so she's kind of a pawn in all of this. I said, yeah. He's like, well, you've got the Ivory Queen. Why don't you do something like the Crystal Pawn? And I said, oh, yeah, that actually works. So uh, my friend Chris helped me come up with the name for the first book. And they're like, okay, we're going to continue this chess theme, apparently, um, in with the Ebon King. So that's where we're going with that. Yeah, no, I had to. I split my first book apart. I was writing it and I realized like I had 120,000 words and I'm halfway through my outline. I'm like, right. you know, I think I can, I think I could turn this like, and I was at a point where I was like, you know, what's happening right now is like a mirror of how the book started. Yep. So it's like, it was a good place to have a, like a climax and make that the book's climax. And, um, yeah. So it, it, it meant changing around like one, uh, like sort of emotional character arc I was going to push farther along, but I decided to resolve it there to sort of have a, like a, the emotional climax and the, story climax happen at the same time, basically. Yeah, the second book kind of ends, it's not quite abruptly, but it's at a good point where they're about to cross the desert, and then the second book picks up from there, and they continue on with their journey. So it was at a good point, but, I mean, we were at 700 handwritten pages, and I'm like, yeah, this is not going to fly. Um, you know, when we finally typed it, it's like, you know, when I finally typed it, it it's like, okay, how are we going to break this down? And that's where we ended up splitting it. Fair enough. Well, if you want to let our listeners know where they can connect with you on the Internet, Oh, yeah, certainly. Um, I'm on the Facebook, actually on a number of different places, but I'm on Facebook with the Fantasy Worlds of Deborah Jarvis. Um, you can find me on Twitter under The Rail Coyote. There's also, I have a website, it's www.debrajarvis.com, and that has a link to the two books that are out and some information about other projects that I'm in the middle of. Um, an interview that was done at the Goffstown Public Library, where a bunch of us independent readers were invited to, or writers were invited to come and read parts of our novels last summer. And I think they're doing it again this year, which is great. Hopefully it won't be 90 degrees that day, too. You know, and uh, those are the, the best places to find me. I'm kind of tiptoeing into TikTok. I don't have a lot on there just yet, but I do have a link tree, which is the, the link tree site, and there's the real coyote with underscores between the words so all right well it was really great talking with you deborah yeah it's really nice talking to you too thank you very much for inviting me on the show yeah you have yourself a good one yeah you too this has been authors in focus you can find my fantasy novels on amazon follow news of my writing at 
my blog, jmd-read.com, and follow me on Twitter, at jmdread. You can also join my reader group on Facebook, Fantastical Worlds of the Imagination. You can find more episodes of the podcast at fantasy-focus.com and wherever your favorite podcast is hosted.